for years, I practiced with one of these. It's a metronome. And uh, the thing about metronomes is you practice with a metronome so that you can be consistent. Um, consistency is something, is a value that, I'll be honest with you, that in these days is rare. And especially when it comes in every area of the life, but in a, as a musician and as a band geek, uh, just a trumpet player, I would sit for hours in a practice room with one of these, tapping my foot, trying to get my eighth notes and my quarter notes and my whole notes. How many of y'all practice piano? How many of y'all hated it? All right, nobody's hands went down, all right? Um, trying to be consistent. Trying to get it right. Trying to get the fingers right, either on a piano or on a trumpet or whatever. you. And there's something about consistency. It's a big deal. You know, consistency is a value that we, vow, that we hold dear, whether or not you're a trumpet player or you practice piano. Um, we want college football quarterbacks to be consistent. <laughs> we do. We want a baseball pitcher to consistently throw and it be 98 miles per hour. When you purchase a CD, either you download it or you purchase it, I don't even know, do they, I don't even know if they sell CDs anymore, um, but uh, when you purchase a CD, what you listen to on Pandora or Spotify on your CD, and then you go and you shell out 50 bucks for a concert, you expect what you heard on that CD to at least be as good at the concert. You want them to be consistent. Today, we're going to be talking about consistency, and primarily from a life that we've been talking about over the past four weeks, a man by the name of Daniel. Today, we come to the most popular story in the book of Daniel. In fact, if you grew up in church, you've no, you know this. If you ever watched a VeggieTales movie, you know this. All right. In fact, I'll say this, if you didn't even grow up in church, maybe you, you never read the Bible, I'm sure you probably heard of this story because this story of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, is very, very familiar with us. Now here's the thing about this. As we see consistency in the life of Daniel... We want our musicians to be consistent. We want our sports players to be consistent. And especially in this political arena, we want our politicians to be consistent. We don't use the word consistent. We use a different word that means the exact same thing, and it's the word integrity. Integrity. In fact, some of you, you may have heard these statistics of our 535 United States congressmen. They're going to be on the screen. Of our 535 United States congressmen, 29 have been accused of spousal abuse. Seven have been arrested for fraud. 19 have been accused of writing bad checks. Y'all remember what a check is, don't you? 117 have bankrupted at least, not just one, but two companies. Three have been arrested for assault. 71 cannot get a credit card due to bad credit. <laughs> 
Dear Jesus. 14 have been arrested on drug-related charges. 8 have been arrested for shoplifting. 21 are current uh, defendants in lawsuits. And 84 were stopped for drunk driving. Many of you, we've read these statistics, and they've been around for years. And it just keeps on getting worse and worse. Now, before we start throwing rocks at our congressmen and women, let's talk about us. 48% of American workers admit to taking unethical and illegal actions on the job. In fact, let me give you the top five illegal actions that half of Americans do. Cut corners on quality control. Covered up incidents. Abused or lied about sick days. I'm not going to make anybody raise their hand about that one. Lied or deceived customers. Put inappropriate pressure on others. 76% of all Americans consistently speed over the speed limit. All right, how many of y'all, you sped to church today? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. All right, all right, some of y'all, y'all got a problem with lying. 58.4% of all Americans have called in sick this year just to get a day off. And this is interesting. Of the top 10 words Googled trying to get a definition of, like the Merriam-Webster definition. This is interesting. Of the top ten of those words, tsunami was one. But you know what was one of the top five? Integrity. Integrity. Consistency. There's something about this word integrity that Americans, we really don't know what it means anymore. Maybe it's because we don't see it that bottled that much anymore. Integrity is defined as consistency in honesty and truthfulness. In fact, one of the best ways we can define what integrity is is define what it's not. Integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. We all know what hypocrisy is, don't you? In fact, one of the number one reasons why people don't go to church is what? That's right, full of hypocrites. If you're a hypocrite, welcome. I am too. What hypocrisy is just means that everything that we say, we don't do. But hear me, integrity and consistency means what you say matches up with what you do. In fact, we get the word integrity, it comes from the Latin word integer. How many of y'all like math? How many of y'all are sick people? I am not a math person, but we all know what an integer is. An integer is a whole number. It's a whole number. That's interesting. It's a whole number. So integrity is being consistent in our actions and our attitudes. And, and when, you, when you integrity, that integer, it means it can't be divided. Let me ask you a question. Can your beliefs be divided? Can they be divided to what you say on Sunday morning to what you leave, live out Monday through Friday? If it can be divided, then you don't have consistency and you're lacking in integrity. And one of the things in our biggest premise around this entire series, at the biggest potential for change in our country, it's not going to come by Romney or Obama. It's going to come by people of integrity. People that say, okay, what I believe on Sunday morning is what I'm going to live out Monday through Saturday. That's huge. It means that what we say and do in church is what we do outside of church. That's what it means to have integrity or consistency. Who we are on Sunday morning is the same person who we are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday night even. It's getting crazy, I know. Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday morning. That we are the same person. It's the exact opposite of hypocrisy. And that's what we're going to see lived out in the life of Daniel. Now, get this. Daniel, when we, we, we started this series three weeks ago. This is our fourth week in the series. 
And four weeks ago when we were looking at this, Daniel was kidnapped from Jerusalem and he was about 13 years old. That's interesting. In fact, most of us, when we, when we think of Daniel in the lion's den, we think of this young strapping dude, kind of like me, in a den of lions. But that is not, that was funnier in my head, by the way, because <laughs> nobody laughed, all right? <laughs> anyway, Daniel is not a young dude anymore. In fact, if my calculations are correct, 66 years have passed, Daniel is 83 years old. Anywhere between 80 to 83 years old. That is huge. I mean, think about, does anybody know any 83-year-old people? Okay, imagine them getting thrown into a lion's den. That's what we're talking about. I mean, this guy, Daniel, we're gonna, and before we dig in too deep, I want to point out two words that we're going to see in the chapter over and over and over and over again. Look at this. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16 says this. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve, what does it say? Continually rescue you. Look at this, verse 20. He called Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve, what does it say? Continually. See, one of the words that we can describe Daniel is that he served God continually. Or, he was consistent. He was consistent. That is important. I mean, who you serve, I mean, how consistent are you on your job? Are we consistent? Because you think all of us can be consistent for... All right, done. All right, all of us can be consistent for a day, right? Right? We all can. This dude has been consistent for 66 years. And see, that is the reason why we're reading about Daniel. He was consistent on his job. How does your employer see you? How do your people at work see you? Daniel had gotten a reputation for being a continually type of Christian, to be consistent. And our big idea, I want to throw this up here because it really is huge for the entire premise of this chapter. Our big idea says this. When we live lives of consistency, we set the stage for God to move mightily. Let's all say that out loud. When we live lives of consistency, we set the stage for God to move mightily. You see, how many of y'all, be honest, you want to see God to move mightily in your circumstances? How many? Raise your hand. All right. I do. I want to see God show up and show out and do some amazing things in my life, in my finances, in my relationships, in my job, in this church, with my kids, with my wife. I want to see God show up mightily. And here we're getting ready to see how God shut the mouth of lions while Daniel is in a lion's den. But let me tell you, that happened because Daniel had lived a life full of consistency and integrity, and he set the stage for God to move mightily. We want God to show up in our circumstances. We want God to show up in our financial situations. We want God to move mightily in the job that we so hate. We want, but the only way that God is going to show up and move mightily is if we are consistent. The only way our, our, our God is going to show up and do something amazing with our kids 
is if we model consistency. And that's easy to say. It's really hard to do. One of the biggest themes we see in the book of Daniel is consistency, integrity, and not compromising. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has lived the past 66 years in Babylon. He's 83 years old, and he has been consistent. Now get this, he has survived seven kings, two empires, the Babylonian Empire and now the Medes and the Persians, and he's also survived a hostile takeover we saw last week in Daniel chapter 5. You got to remember, Cyrus the Great came in on October the 12th, 538 BC, and he, direct, he diverts the river Euphrates, the river drops, and they take over Babylon without firing a shot. And here's what's interesting what happens when a new regime takes over is the old regime dies. How do they die? Usually by beheading, usually in a public way. It's like everybody is saying, okay, listen, that was old, now this is then. And it's usually they're beheaded, and usually even their families are beheaded. But here, we saw last week, Belshazzar, he comes in and he offers Daniel the third, the third in charge of an entire kingdom, right? And that kingdom was over like that, that night. I mean, everyone is killed in this old regime except a Jewish slave by the name of Daniel. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule in each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Let me show you a map of the Persian Empire. At this time, the Persian Empire was the largest empire on the planet. All right, it pretty much encompasses Egypt all the way up here to Turkey and Israel over here. It goes all the way uh, down through Afghanistan, and you see, I mean, it's almost basically going towards India. It is massive, it's huge. And in one night, it changed just like that. The Medes and the Persians took over, and now this is their kingdom. Now, here's the thing. How do you rule a kingdom so broad? There isn't any internet at this point. You know, you can't pick up your walkie-talkie, your walkie-talkie, or your, your root and tootie, fast and shooty. Yeah, they didn't have those things yet, right? I mean, this was chariots and spears and swords. How do you rule an empire like this? Well, here's how you rule it. You break it up into manageable situations, manageable bite-sized chunks. I mean, Babylon was a city of 500,000. How do you rule that? You break it up into bite-sized chunks, and this is what Darius, his, his idea was. I'm going to break it up into bite-sized chunks, and I'm going to break it up into 120 different pieces. And I'm going to find um, people who live lives of consistency and integrity, and I'm going to put them over those 120. And then, even that, uh, trying to manage 120 people, you can't do that. So what do you do then? You, you find direct reports, and that's exactly what he did. He found three people to manage those 120 people. So, one person is going to manage 40, another person is going to manage 40, and Daniel is going to manage 40 of these senators. I mean, this is the largest empire the world has ever seen up to this point. It, it, it spans 4,917 miles. Look at verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than. I like that. 
Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over what? Seriously? The entire, 4,900 and, and, and what, what did I say? 4,900 and, 4,900, I, I, I can't even do the math. 4,900 miles. He's going to put this, he's not even a Babylonian, he's not a Medes and a Persian. He is a Jewish slave that has been deported. That's interesting. I mean, how does Daniel getting ready to become the person in charge of this entire kingdom? You know how? Consistency. Integrity. And now, hear me. He wasn't part of the in crowd. He wasn't a Persian. He wasn't a Mede. He wasn't a Babylonian. He was none of that. He was on the out crowd. He should not have been in charge of this. But how did he get there? Consistency. Integrity. Let me stop by saying this. On your job. Quit bellyaching about the jobs that are given to family members or the in crowd. You want to know how to get that job? Consistency, integrity. If you keep on gritching about, you know what, I keep on getting passed over because it's, it, you know, it's a good old boy system. Well, you know what? You know, you know how you can change that system? You become the best at what you do. You become the best. And you know what? Eventually, you will create a system where you are the linchpin. And that's exactly what Daniel did. He had integrity. He had consistency. And Daniel, this is what it says in that verse, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators. Daniel lived his life in such a way that even though everything about who he was, where he was from, if his ethnicity, would make it clear that he shouldn't be in power, he lived his life in such a way that he proved himself more capable. We see Daniel in the past six chapters get promoted again and again and again. How does that happen? Happen Consistency, integrity, and not compromising. That's interesting. You know what? I love about this. Why does Daniel get promoted? Is it because he believed in Yahweh? He believed in God? He loved reading the Bible? Is it because he wore a cross around his neck? The answer is No. Daniel didn't wear his faith, he lived out his faith. What about you? You see, it may be great to have that little cross, nothing wrong with it. But if you're going to wear it, you definitely need to live it out. Daniel was able to change his culture because he proved himself more capable. I, I talked about this the first week, but when, when we fast forward 600 years, everybody say 600 years. 600 years from now is going to be what? 2612, right? That's crazy, right? 2612. Let's put that in perspective. 600 years forward in Daniel's date, you see Magi from the east coming to worship baby Jesus. Where did they get their idea? And we talked about this this very first week. The Magi learned about it through Daniel, who was a Magi himself. Daniel is promoted, he is teaching, and now he is teaching all of these professional astronomers and astrologers and, and professional wise men. He's teaching them the Hebrew scriptures. So much so that they come looking for baby Jesus when nobody else does. He influences his group of people 600 years after he is pushing up daisies. You know what, is, are, are you going to be remembered 600 years from now? I probably won't. Will you? Daniel was. Why? Because of consistency and integrity. 
He did things with excellence. I mean, and you have to be consistent for the long haul. Because up to this point, he's been 66 years, he's been consistent. Look at verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they what? Couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Dear Jesus, he's not running in this election. He was faithful. Did I say that out loud? Always responsible and completely completely trustworthy. The other guys serving with Daniel was jealous. And when you have consistency, when you have integrity, what you also have is a big target painted on your back. If You see, some of you, you can't talk about Jesus on your work because they know how you act. But yet, these guys, they start snooping around. Now, here's why I want to put this in perspective. Because over the, he, he was responsible, he had integrity, he was faithful, he was trustworthy. That's what verse 4 says. Throw that verse up there again, if you would. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Look what, how it describes. He was faithful... Always responsible and completely trustworthy. Leave that up there if you would. Now, let's give this some perspective, those three adjectives. We have covered six chapters in four weeks. And, you know, we read these chapters and we read about his trustworthiness and his faithfulness and he's responsible, and we go, oh, that's great. And we say, okay, it's only... we. We, we've read it in four weeks, so it must have taken just four weeks to do. No, this took 66 years. I mean, these guys show up in Babylon, they make a pact to follow God together, and they don't compromise. That's chapter one. They're thrown into a fiery furnace, but look, God shows up and moves mightily, and they live. They are dreams, but look, they are protected. There's a, there's a regime change, but look, they are spared. Now we're going to see Daniel in the lion's den, and it sounds like, hey, that, these really cool two to three weeks in their life has been really neat. But for 66 years, this guy has lived consistent as a government official. There's no corruption. Daniel has been faithful for 66 years. They can't find a dime missing from the treasury. He has been responsible for the past 66 years. They can't find any evidence of an intern scandal. He has been completely trustworthy for the past 66 years. You see, we only have just a few days recorded in Daniel's life, but what we see behind those few days recorded is a life of 66 years of being consistent. All of us, God, we want God to move mightily in our lives, but very few of us are willing to be disciplined enough and consistent enough for God to show up and do some amazing things. Are we willing to be that consistent for the long haul? What if somebody put a PI on you, a private investigator, and they said, what I want you to do is I want you to dig up dirt on him or her. How long would it take? How many files, how many IRS statements would they have to go through? How, what, if they looked in your fridge, in your checkbook, if they looked on your computer, on your history, what would they find in your private world? I mean, what skeletons would they find in the closet? What if someone did some snooping and some investigation in your life? Would there be enough evidence of you being a Christian? Think about that. 
I mean, if, if somebody accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's what we see in verse 5. Look at this, verse 5. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with his rules of his what? Religion. The only way these guys are going to get some dirt on 83-year-old Daniel is to basically cheat, change the rules, so they come up with a plan. Let's create a law where we make it illegal to pray for 30 days. You see, if they're going to trap Daniel, they had to be watching Daniel. And something that was glaringly consistent in Daniel's life was his what? Prayer life. Quick question. What are you consistent in your Christian life? If somebody was trying to dig up dirt on you, would they dig up enough dirt on you saying, you know what, that person is consistently a prayer? Would they? i got to be honest with you, for me, probably not. But that is what they come up with Daniel. Look at verse 7. So they come up with this idea for law. Nobody can pray to any god except for King Darius. We are all in agreement. All of these wise guys go to the King Darius and says this, we got an idea. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And Darius, thinking that everyone, including Daniel, is behind this law, says we're all in agreement. That's what it says. It says we're all in agreement. So Darius, thinking that Daniel and everybody else is agreeing this, signs this law. No one can pray to any god except him because he believes he's a god. So this strokes his ego a little bit. Now, how does Daniel respond? Quick question, how would you respond? Well, I ain't going to be talking to Jesus for the next 30 days, right? Ain't going to be doing that. Look at what Daniel does. Verse 7, excuse me, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, dot, 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 he went home and knelt down as usual. Everybody say as usual. You see, that's what he usually did. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. You see, he didn't do this trying to show off and say, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian, I'm going to boycott. He didn't do that. This was his usual thing. He was going to pray towards Jerusalem where his people were at. And he says this, he prayed three times a day just as he has, what does it say? Always done. what What is he praying? What does he do? He gives thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Now, imagine being found guilty of prayer. Dear Lord, how many of y'all, don't raise your hands, it's too convicting. I know, I can't even raise my hand. How many of y'all would be found guilty of praying this past week? If somebody looked and said, I know that person's a dude of prayer. She's a person of prayer. I mean, imagine that. If we were accused of praying, if we were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? But Daniel remains consistent. Daniel keeps his integrity. Daniel responds down on his knees, down what he's always done, what had become his holy habit. Nothing could disturb him. Can the same thing be said of you and me? Honestly. I mean, 
again, don't raise your hands. When is the last time you just read your Bible and somebody wasn't teaching it to you? When is the last time you opened up God's Word and you said, I want to spend time with God? You see, some of you, if you're not a Christian, that's not a normal thing. But for us as church people and as Christians, that's something that God calls us to do every day. Do we do it? Daniel was consistent. I mean, why don't you and I, how come we're not consistent? Because we're too busy? Because there's not enough time? Hey, here is, uh, just, let me just pull in just for a sec. Everybody has the same amount of time. You know what I'm saying? You've got 24 hours. I've got 24 hours. The issue is not a time issue. It is a priority issue. And you see, what has been a priority in Daniel's life is for him, three times a day, consistently, consistently, we have a priority problem. Spending time with God really just isn't a priority. But let me tell you what other things are a priority. A lot of other things can be priorities. But God ain't one of those. Let me tell you, when we get ready to read that this guy's going to be thrown into a hungry den of lions because he's praying, many of us, we would start praying when we got thrown into the hungry den of lions, right? Let's tell the truth, shame the devil. You got thrown into a hungry den of lions, I were going, dear Jesus, I need you to come through right now. You see, but we would have never gotten into the hungry den of lions because we wouldn't be praying before then. Let me, let, me just, let me just say this. He didn't start praying when he got thrown in. And that's when most of us start praying, when we get into some trouble, when we start having some problems, when the test comes back positive. We start praying when times get tough. But if you want God to move mightily in your circumstances, you got to start praying before you get into those tough situations. That's just it. That's just it. Quick question. How many of y'all have ever poured concrete? Anybody? I've poured concrete. That's a hard job. You poured concrete? Really? I ain't going to mess with you. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying. A woman that pours concrete, I'm just saying. All right? Um, I'm over there. You know, of course, you pour it, and then you get the thing, the, the two before, and you kind of, you, oh, and I'm just like, dear Lord. I mean, after the end of the day, this right there feels like jelly right there. I'm like, ah, uh, right? When do you pour concrete? When it's raining or when it's sunny? You see, if you want a foundation, if you want a strong foundation, you can't wait until it's raining. you got to do it when it's sunny. You see, some of us, what, what's happening right now in your life is you got some tsunamis and some tornadoes, and you're trying to pour a foundation with prayer and reading the Bible, and it ain't going to set. you got to do it. If you want God to move mightily in your life, you have to do it before those tough times come. That's just the fact. That's just huge. But most of us start playing the God card. Most of us start praying to God in the midst of a monsoon. Let's go back to verse 11. He prayed for three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. That's verse 10. A quick question. How often did he pray? How long had he been doing this? 66 years, as he has always done. And what, what was he praying about? Lord, give me this. Lord, give me, give me, give me. What is he doing? Giving thanks. Come on now. I, I, how often do you pray? A couple of questions. And I'm not saying good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord at my shoulder keep. If you're still praying that prayer, number one, that is the most scariest bejesus prayer I've ever heard in my life. 
right, if you got a two-year-old and you're like, now I lay me down to sleep before you die, my soul to keep. Yeah. I mean, what in the world is that? That's some scary smut. I'm just saying. Don't pray that prayer. But what, what he's praying three times a day, and this is what he's praying for. Lord, make me, give, make me a millionaire. Is that what he's praying? He's giving thanks. You see, when we pray, when, when I don't pray, I worry. In fact, I want to. This is the only verse we're going to be straining. You don't have to turn there, but it's going to be up here. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. This is what it says. It says, "Don't worry about anything." Everybody say that. Don't worry about anything. How many of y'all have been worrying? Tell the truth. Now, if I say, "Hey, don't worry about anything," does that help? It don't help me either. It doesn't help me either. Somebody says, "Just stop worrying." Thanks for that little bit of advice. Just saying. Look at this. It says, don't worry about anything, but, because here's the thing. The reason why you can just say, stop worrying, and it doesn't work, is because you got to do something in place of the worry. This, don't worry about anything instead. Pray about everything. I gotta be honest with you, I didn't used to be a worrier. I'm a worrier now. And you wanna know why? Because usually my prayer life stinks. One of the things that God has been dealing in my heart and my life, even last October even, and one of the vows I made to God, and praise God I've been able to keep that, and it's mainly been because of this right here, because of my accident. When God shelved me for two months, the only thing I, I couldn't type, I couldn't do, I just prayed. I just prayed. And let me tell you, sometimes God brings some situations in your life where you can do nothing else but praying. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. You know what everything means in the original language? Everything. If we would spend more time praying, you and I would spend less time worrying. That is huge. Tell God what you need, and what's that next word? Thank him. That's what Daniel was doing for all he's done. If you pray and thank God, what will be the result? What will you experience? Keep on reading. Then you will experience what? God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Let me tell you this. Everything can be affected by prayer. You hear what I'm saying? Everything can be affected by by prayer. God would not have said, pray about everything, if he didn't believe that everything can be affected by prayer. We have a tendency to compartmentalize. Guys are really bad about this, but guys and gals, I think, are bad about this as well. This is just a medical matter. So I'm not going to go, I'm going to go see the doctor, but I'm not going to talk to the pastor about it. This is not a spiritual matter. This is a legal matter. It's not a spiritual matter. No, this is a parenting thing. It's not a spiritual matter. Let me tell you, everything is a spiritual matter. Everything. Jesus says, don't worry, pray about everything. That's you. Let me tell you, what's so cool about this? Praying about everything means it's all on God's turf. Hear what I'm saying? Everything's on God's turf. Your bad experience, your past, your pain, your lawyer problems, your medical problems, your financial problems, all of it is on God's turf. Prayer puts everything on God's turf. Now back to Daniel. These guys have spied on against Daniel, and now have passed the law saying it's illegal to pray, and he has remained consistent. Look what happens, verse 13. They rat him out in front of the king. Then they told the king, hey, you know that man, Daniel? You remember the dude, you know, who you were going to put top 
You remember Daniel? You remember Daniel? I think I remember him. Yeah. Continue, please. That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, you know, the one who's not really part of us, he's ignoring you. He's ignoring your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. Now, quick question. Was he troubled about Daniel? Was he frustrated at Daniel? No, look. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. You see, this guy isn't disappointed in Daniel. He's disappointed in himself because he's realized he's been snookered. He's realized, you know what, the reason why this law got signed, I didn't do my homework, I didn't go into this, is because these guys were jealous. And he's trying, it says, through the rest of the day, he's trying to figure out how to get Daniel off. Now, what's interesting, in in that day and age, punishment was swift. If you did something that day, you got punished that day. Don't you kind of wish that happened here? Just a little bit craziness, I know. You know, somebody can kill somebody, and three years later, you know, they get... 20 years and we feed them for life. Again, you don't want to get me on started on that. Anyway, so would you, like, would you like a cable TV with that? Anyway. Not my notes. I got to keep on going. All right. So they, they are going, he has to execute judgment by the end of the day. And we look, and the, at the end of the day, the king gives in. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. I want to show you a clip from a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness. It is a true movie about two lions of Sabo that literally kill hundreds of men. It's not, if you've got kids in here, it's not gory or bloody. It's not too bad, but hang on to your, your knickers. Watch this.
guys, if you ever want to know what your pastor, how your, your pastor would respond around lions, you just saw it. I'm just saying. Because I would be shooting at everything and hitting nothing. Just saying. Uh, let me tell you, lion, let me tell you some facts about lions. Lions, the average lion is nine feet long and it weighs 350 to 400 pounds. Because most lions' weight is made up of muscle, they are amazing athletes. With one slap of a paw, they can knock down a full-grown zebra off of its feet. A mighty roar can be heard as far away as five to six miles. And amazingly enough, when lions are ruthless, when they take over a pride, they kill all of the cubs. You see, Daniel was thrown into a den of hungry lions. We're going to see later that these guys, Daniel is saved, and the guys that set Daniel up gets thrown into the lion's den, and before they even reach the bottom of the den, they're destroyed. You see, the king didn't say, you know what, all right, how can I, I'll overfeed the lions. I'll give them a tummy ache. So that's not what happened. You see, what happened is Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and remember, Daniel is not a young dude. In fact, here's a picture of what Daniel probably looked like. He was an old codger. All right? Um, think of up. Think of Mr. Sanderson with the tennis balls. I'm just saying. I mean, you got Daniel in there in a hungry den of lions with one of those tennis ball little things that, you know, is, you know. I mean, he's not there. He, he cannot really fight them off. Look what happens. This. This is so interesting. Verse 16, the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the seal of the mouth of the den when the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. A stone was rolled over the mouth of the den, a seal was placed on it so that no one can rescue Daniel. Really? No one can rescue Daniel? When you live a life of consistency, you set the stage for God to move mightily. No one can rescue the end of hope, the end of the story. Let me tell you something. 600 years later, some Roman guards pushed a big stone over the mouth of the tomb of a cave and put a royal seal and said, you know what, he will not rise again, but I believe our Bible says that he rose again on the third day. You can't take away hope, you can't take away peace, because when you live lives of integrity, you set the stage for God to move mightily. You want to know what Daniel experienced in that den of lions? He experienced peace. That's what we read in Philippians. He experienced God's peace. And you know what? We don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. But when you don't worry about everything and you pray about everything, you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. Verse 18, i got to land this plane. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and could not sleep all night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Question. Now, I don't know about Daniel. If I was in the mouth of the lion, if I was in there, I would have kicked back and waited for a while.
What was that? You call you talking to me? I'd just been chilling, but Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. What? Answer? Daniel was consistent. Daniel had integrity. Because Daniel had that long obedience for the past 66 years, God showed up mightily. Now, do you see how Daniel responds here? Put that verse back up there if you would. Long live the king. Now, do you realize how different that response is to you and me, how we would respond? I mean, some guys falsely accuse me, some bozo passes a law that gets me thrown into a lion's den, and then he calls out, hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'd have gone, you little... Let me tell you how I'm doing. Why don't you come down here for a second? I got something you want to pet. That's how I'd have responded. But not Daniel. He calls out with the utmost respect to the guy that threw him into the lion's den. Look at the last verse we're looking at, verse 23. The king was overjoyed, and he ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. And look at this. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had what? Trusted in his God. For he had trusted in his God. What does your life say that you trust in? American Express? Don't leave home without it? What does your life say that you trust in? Daniel walked the talk. He was consistent. He had integrity. You see, to live a life of integrity means what you say here and what you do here. There is no gaps. Do you guys have any gaps? Do I have any gaps? As we close today, I just want to challenge you. If you have gaps, narrow the gap. Get around some people that can ask you some questions so that you can live a consistent life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for your love. I thank you so much, Lord, for this story that many of us have heard over and over and over again. God, I pray for those men and women who are struggling with consistency. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge them to live lives of consistency and integrity. That what they say on Sunday morning, the attitude that they have on Sunday morning, the countenance that they have on Sunday morning is the same attitude, the same everything that they have tomorrow when they go on the job. And Lord, that people would be able to see them as consistent as the TikTok of a metronome. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.